0: Hello, this is Dr. Doug Wyatt, and this is the podcast series, Considering Christianity as a Scientist, and this is podcast number three, Considering the Christ. over two and a quarter billion Christians in the world today out of a global population approaching or a little over eight billion. Ten years ago, according to Pew Research, of the total global population, about 31% were Christians, 23% Muslim, 15% Hindu, 7% Buddhist, 6% practiced folk religions, and 0.2% were Jewish. About 17% of the people acknowledge no religion. Muslims, people of Islam, accept Jesus as a great prophet. At a minimum, Hindus accept Jesus as a great holy man. Many of the smaller religions accept him as a great teacher or prophet. So for more than 75% of the world's religion, Jesus plays a part. As a Christian, Jesus is much, much more. But what is remarkable is that for three-quarters of the world, Jesus has an impact. Considering that there is no known direct image, remnant writings, or other archaeological evidence of a man so prevalent and foundational in world culture, how can this be? As a planet full of people, the world accepts that Jesus existed. For Christians, we argue that he still exists. For those that deny that there ever was such a person as Jesus, their argument is much more difficult. Our entire Western date system is based on the birth of Christ. If you do a place name search for planet Earth, you will find millions of names based on the word Christ. Millions of people have Christ or Jesus as part of their personal names. Christ is a ubiquitous term in all Western languages. What do we know of this man from a historical sciences perspective? As a first pass at understanding, we will consider two lines of evidence for proof of the existence of Jesus in history. Not to mention my previous discussions of the overall impact of Jesus on the human experience to date, but a non-religious reference and the references that became the New Testament. I do not want to present a full scholarly argument for the existence of Jesus. Many others have done so. Besides the books, dissertations, and journal articles, there is a whole series of G- on Jesus on Wikipedia, which is a quick and easy review. As the non-religious historical reference, there is Flavius Josephus, an educated scholar who was a Jewish fighter against Rome was captured and became a Roman slave, was freed, became a Roman citizen, and then traveled with Titus, the son of the Roman Emperor Vespasian, in the 93-94 A.D. time period as Jerusalem was conquered. Josephus traveled and recorded a Jewish history entitled Antiquities of the Jews, a first-hand account of his understanding, discussions, and experiences at the time. This is a very valuable historical document and quite extensive. In two passages he records, first, the historical reference to Jesus, a reference to the execution of Jesus by Pilate, and second, an indirect reference to Jesus through the death of James, the brother of Jesus. He says, quoting, These things happened to the Jews to avenge James the Just, who was brother of Jesus that is called the Christ. As a scientist, we should consider these references much as we might consider and accept the historical references to events that happened only 50 to 70 years ago, such as the Korean War, Sputnik, even the moon landings. These are known historical happenings in our time, much as Josephus was recorded, known and accepted historical happenings in his time in the first century AD. Second, There are the letters and gospel written documents that were in use at the time of the followers of Jesus, the disciples and apostles, and following the beginnings of the early Christian church. Many of the earliest of these documents that are known or have been discovered were written possibly 30 years after the time of Jesus. Most documents were written by followers of the apostles and other early disciples who were literate. The story of Jesus was transmitted mostly by word of mouth before this time. Paul, an apostle of Christ and a name known in history and a Roman citizen, was educated and literate in Greek, Latin, Aramaic, and Hebrew. He was a prolific traveling preacher and letter writer, and many of his letters, as found in various forms and copies, make up much of the New Testament. Peter, an apostle who traveled with Jesus and is not thought to be as educated, but was a key early leader and had scribed letters to distant Christians. Other disciples wrote the gospel accounts, all wrote from direct experience with Jesus or based on those who had immediate fellowship with Jesus. These fragments have the authority of scholarly acceptance and age dating as being historically viable. There is an enormous amount of scholarly material on this that you can easily research. As mentioned before, for those that deny there ever was such a person as jesus their argument is much more difficult human knowledge and experience screams for the existence of jesus okay What about the early life of Jesus? The modern Julian calendar in common use by the Western world is based on a calculated birth date of Jesus. It is day zero and we move forward from that and all other dates are either BC before Christ or Anno Domini in the year of the Lord. Anno Domini is sometimes replaced by CE, meaning the Christian era particularly in religious scholarly articles. I will also mention that, being a geologist and earth scientist, we use another dating scheme, million years before present, which is not really applicable to this discussion. By the way, uh, the use of CE and AD is another incredible impact of Jesus on the human experience. In truth, Nobody really knows what the dates were for the birth of Jesus, but more recent scholarship has better data than that available to medieval scholars. It is now thought that Jesus was born between four and six BC and was probably a spring or fall birth. It is almost certain it was not on December 25th, Christmas day. It really doesn't matter when we start the story. The Bible records that Jesus was a virgin birth something that scientists have a real issue with, and typically dismiss right off the bat. However, given what we know about the human body and the conception process as scientists, can we really deny that Mary, a young girl, fertile and a virgin, could become impregnated without physical sex? We can't deny that. Can you accept that it was done by God through the Holy Spirit Is something else entirely for us to discuss later? So for now, accept that it is possible and that it did happen. A quick word about Jesus' birth scenario. His birth story has generated incredible art, literature, music. We all know it. The journey to Bethlehem, the guiding star, no normal place to stay for a comfortable birth, the manger, the wise men, the shepherds, This is the Christmas story and actual dates and times of year aside, a major global holiday, for some a meaningful one and for some a commercial one. Jesus never really discussed his birth. Jesus had a father, Joseph, who married Mary after she became pregnant with Jesus. He is presumed to be a bit older than Mary. He was a skilled technical businessman. The Bible records him as being a carpenter, but the translated word for his position tecton means a skilled artificer and applies to carpenters, builders, masons, even those who design wood and stone constructions. Personally, I prefer to think of Joseph as a skilled technical professional and a small middle-class businessman. I believe Jesus was raised in what we would consider as a middle-class home environment. Certainly, if the Magi gave the gifts mentioned in the Gospel of Luke, then Joseph and Mary would have been made relatively wealthy. I know many do not agree with me on this. Due to Jewish prophecies, the provincial and puppet King Herod feared the birth of Jesus as a potential threat to his power. This led to the stories of the slaughter of the innocents, something hard to prove in scholarly circles, but well within the character and philosophy of the leadership of the day. Jesus and his family escaped to Egypt where Joseph could easily find work with his skill set. Jesus spent his first eight years or so growing up and being educated in Egypt. Herod died and the family returned to Israel. The Bible mentions that Jesus was in the temple in Jerusalem having intellectual discourses with the scholars of the day. So even at eight years old, Jesus was educated and smart. It is thought that Jesus began his ministry and teachings when he was about 30 years old. This would be expected for a dedicated Jewish male as he spent the period between 8 and 30 helping his family, working the family business, continuing his synagogue education, and developing his own family and position within the community. All this would be expected for a Jewish family of the time. It is not known if Jesus was ever married and there is no direct evidence in any known literature. Culture would dictate that he would be by that age, but nothing is known. It is suspected that he would make sure his family and business was secure before he would enter into his ministry. There is evidence that he routinely participated in the local synagogues for all of that time. The available information is minimal for this, but I hope it's all true. If Jesus had to experience all the trials and tribulations of being a created human, then all the impacts of daily life would have been experienced. I think he experienced the death of his father, of having to take care of and help manage his family, and maybe even a business, and all the sibling interactions that he experienced. Christians believe Jesus was a divine soul and spirit, the son of God, in the body of a regular human. I really think he experienced everything that a regular human would experience. What did Jesus teach? The actual words of Jesus as translated from the original manuscripts vary by count depending on translations, but all counts coalesce at approximately 2,000 words or just slightly a few more. Everything we have discussed so far in this podcast and the global influence of Jesus calls from only 2,000 words recorded in history. In addition to actual teachings, the Bible records his actions in healing, his demonstrations of love his social interactions, and even his angst and anger. 2,000 words and a couple of dozen stories, and the results are amazing. This podcast has more words than are recorded in the teachings and stories of Jesus. A quick thought on how Jesus taught. Jesus began his ministry by teaching in small groups and in synagogue situations. He developed a reputation as an authoritative teacher, a rabbi, by doing this. He teaches as if he knows exactly what he's talking about without any doubt, without any gray areas or any wishy-washiness. Those listening strongly sense this. As he expanded his ministry, he gathered around him men he thought had the characters he desired, either by recruiting or asking them to follow him. These were the apostles and other disciples. As he traveled from community to community, his crowds grew as did his followers, Not only was he teaching, but he was healing those who had faith, which caused his crowds to grow even larger. His audience was dominantly his fellow Jews, but there were non-Jews as well. After a while, the Bible records Jesus as having crowds as large as 5,000 men, not including women and children, who would routinely gather to hear him preach, possibly be fed by his actions, or be healed by his word or touch. After his crucifixion and ascension, when he was no longer on earth, his believers numbered in the thousands. The writer of the New Testament book of Hebrews around AD 64 and at least 30 years after the crucifixion records this when they describe the current state of followers of Jesus as being surrounded by such a great a cloud of witnesses. Besides the apostles and disciples, There were thousands of ordinary people who saw and experienced Jesus firsthand. The teaching of Jesus drew a following, an enormous following. The religious and scholarly leaders of his day came to hear him. Political leaders sent representatives to hear him teach. The number of people who personally experienced Jesus was enormous, both believers and non-believers. taught that there was a higher form of the Jewish law and a higher form of worship that God had always desired. He taught that he was the fulfillment of the old law and prophecy and the beginning of a new law. He taught that there was a spiritual approach to God and to things above that was greater than the physical approach they were all familiar with. Jesus taught that there was a higher form of Jewish law and a higher form of worship that God had always desired. He taught that he was the fulfillment of the old law and prophecy and the beginning of a new law. He taught that there was a spiritual approach to God and to things above that was greater than the physical approach they were all familiar with. He taught that there was one God, the Creator God, who had all authority and power and whose will and actions were dispersed through the Holy Spirit. In the context of the spiritual need, there was love, faith, belief, hope, etc. Jesus countered the religious stereotypes of the day and they abhorred him for that. Jesus taught equality of mankind, souls, and spirits. Jesus taught the forgiveness of sins and that there would be a new future that would be here soon. Jesus taught that there was only one sin that could not be forgiven, that of denying the Holy Spirit. Jesus taught that there was a spiritual world something above and wonderful that all should desire. Jesus taught that God, his Father, had given him all authority on heaven and earth. Jesus taught that we must accept him, his teachings, and his sacrifice for us, and if we did, he would accept and forgive us, and we would be born again. That is, renewed in spirit and attitude and belief and follow the course he has set out. Jesus taught by actions and character as well as with words and authority. Death had come into the world by sin and Jesus demonstrated that death was not the end and that death could be overcome and should not be feared. Finally, in the spirit of the physical sacrifices of the old Jewish law, Jesus allowed himself to be physically sacrificed knowing and proving that death could be overcome. He was an infinite sacrifice for all who believed and accepted his teachings, his sacrifice and his existence for an infinite future. Jesus was the correction for the sins by the original man and woman and God's forgiveness of us for those sins. He is now the intercessor, the intermediary between mankind and God by his own choice, the Messiah, the Savior, a gift to us. Why do we believe that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, Redeemer of mankind, promised in the Old Testament? Even his followers questioned at various times this aspect of Jesus all the way up to the crucifixion and resurrection. I offer a few lines of evidence for your consideration. First, there are apparently thousands of witnesses to his healing and miracles. There were witnesses to him returning to life people who had physically died. He is recorded as doing this by speaking commands, not by some physical means. The ability to do this had not been recorded to this time and has not been recorded since. Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. This was a bold claim with the potential to bring immediate punishment, imprisonment, or death under Jewish and Roman law. This was a potential threat to end that ministry before he was ready. A risk. Biblical stories recount angels helping him at times, and the story with John the Baptist records God speaking in the presence of witnesses that Jesus was his son. In one story in the book of Matthew, chapter 16, Jesus asked Peter, also known as Simon, who he thought he, Jesus, was. Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus Jesus replied to Peter, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Peter died by crucifixion in Rome in 64 A.D. The book of Matthew was written sometime between approximately 70 and 90 A.D. Peter's life would have been personally known by many survivors of the time, and there is no denial of his declaration known or recorded. This suggests that Peter's statement was a common and accepted belief among early Christians. For the time, a modern acceptance of Jesus as the Son of God and the Messiah. As a third line of evidence, there is the story and results of the crucifixion. Flavius Josephus records the fact of the crucifixion of Jesus, called the Christ. This happened. The Bible recounts the gruesome treatment Jesus sustained prior to the actual crucifixion itself. Jesus died on the cross, an instrument of Roman torture and execution. He is buried in a donated, rock hewn tomb. Because of the Jewish Sabbath requirements, he is hastily prepared, but not fully ritually prepared for burial. That would have to come after the Sabbath. It is recorded that the Jewish civil and religious authorities requested that the Roman government authorities post a guard on the tomb to prevent tampering by his followers. Jesus had claimed that he would return after three days. When his followers returned after the Sabbath, the tomb was empty and Jesus appeared to his followers in several instances. There were questions, disbelief, then belief and acceptance, And from here, the world changed. All I have mentioned before is evidence of the truth of these events. You cannot fool billions, but each can choose to believe or not believe. Accept the evidence on faith and that the facts of the predecessor arguments for Jesus existed and were met. That Jesus himself existed and did as is recorded and that the results of all of this discussion happened and is happening. For me, to deny the facts of what we have discussed is arrogance. As said before, for those that that deny that there ever was such a person as Jesus, their argument is much more difficult. They can argue against the events that we just discussed, but again, the cloud of witnesses supports our belief. 75% of the world's population accepts the fact that Jesus existed. sacrifice, dying, and crucifixion? Where is the logical, demonstrable sense in this? What is the equation? What kind of all-supreme, omniscient, omnipresent God capable of creating the universe would require something like this, and why not just snap his fingers? I will admit that, purely using scientific methods and evidence, using human wisdom, these are tough questions to answer. They make no sense to our physical minds. Here is where we step out of our comfort zones and listen to that feeling, sense, that quiet whisper, and deep sense need for something greater, larger, and more meaningful than ourselves. I want you to consider, and as we are discussing, that this is our Creator God calling to you personally through Jesus the Christ and how to believe and accept this. To start, if our first podcast helped you accept a belief in our Creator God, or at least you are open to considering belief, then I encourage you to ask God to pray for insight, faith, and belief. Even early in our faith journey, He will answer. I am certainly praying as we discuss this. Why did Jesus have to die, have to be sacrificed? The Bible tells us that death was not God's original plan for humans. We were to be immortal as were the angels and other created beings. However, we had free will, the ability to make our own decisions. This implied that we could then be persuaded by other beings to do something that was not in God's plan. We allow this to happen as is captured in the moral story we know as Adam, Eve, and the serpent. We made a decision that violated God's state of desire for us. Rather than just eliminate us and start over, God modified our existence to include a termination date. I believe God knew that we would reproduce expansively and all have free will, and that we would continue to make poor decisions, so limited the population through a limited lifetime plus the presence of other things that would support this limited lifetime, such as disease and disaster. A new paradigm was established. Death has always been the greatest fear and unknown for mankind. I believe God always loved us because he created us and allowed us to continue, but was, in human terms, continuously disappointed. There was nothing we could do as the created to change this paradigm. There were individual humans that God was pleased with, Some we have mentioned, Job, Daniel, Noah, but it was not within our power to change our current relationship with God. Through the old law, we were sort of in a maintenance mode, a wait and see mode. We needed someone at God's side to help us whom had the authority of God. There was only one choice, Jesus. I believe it was Jesus's decision and choice to do this for us and that this greatly pleased God, his Father. Of course, this is my reasoning in human terms and I am sure my beliefs do not comprehend the real truth. Jesus taught that there was much more to creation and that a God who sought worship in spirit and truth had complete control over death and the human spirit and soul. Death as a human condition, a human concern, had been conquered. Only our physical bodies can die. Our souls and spirits are immortal. There is evil that can destroy the soul, but Jesus warned us about that and taught us about it and gave us the power we needed to avoid and overcome this destruction. Finally, in order to satisfy the need for death that God gave mankind for the original sins, Jesus allowed himself to die for all past and future deaths, a living sacrifice. Possibly of an even greater sacrifice God had to allow Jesus to experience death as we do. Jesus also had adversaries both earthly and in greater creation. These were not just local religious authorities or other religious zealot types, but he had spiritual adversaries, Satan and his followers, spiritual beings we call demons. Jesus allowed himself to be exposed to his adversaries as well. The power of Jesus' faith and righteousness overcame what we could not. This is the power of the Christ. He now sits by God on our behalf with his hands on the workings of creation. Jesus taught us to worship God, yet sits by God with authority over all our creation and ourselves, and we praise and thank him as the Son of God. Just because we have not personally seen this and have no documentable evidence by modern means or according to current scholarly requirements does not mean that it did not happen. We so often tend to judge all of the universe and history by ourselves and our current status and beliefs. In teaching my geology students about deep time, I would always have them complete a scaled timeline of the geological stages and then plot the human timeline on the same scale. They were always astounded at how small a part of existence we were. I would always try and explain to them that although a new part of overall creation, we are unique in our ability to understand, build, rationalize, and expand our minds beyond our physical circumstances. God gave us this ability. We just have to use it correctly. This is the role of faith and belief in things we cannot see, but can feel and understand. Why? I believe to challenge our free will, God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. A statement in 1 Corinthians. This keeps us humble before our Creator. In the next podcast, we will consider the Christian life and the role of the Holy Spirit we discussed in the first podcast and being a Christian in the modern world and as a scientist. Thank you for listening, and I pray for your health and happiness. I hope you join our next podcast. As always, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name be the glory. Thank you.